if you are, if you've walked with Jesus as an adult most of your life, would you stand up right now if you're able to? Just keep standing. Get their names, Carrie. No. Um, you see them, young people? Young people, look around you. These are the real deal. Have a seat. The young people in our church that are here in this worship, would you stand up? You saw those people who have walked with Jesus their lives. And other people, you, other adults, you see them. Would you get to know them and love them and walk alongside them? Would you? This generation has something amazing happening. Amen? Amen. There's an awakening. There's an awakening. Hallelujah. Wow. You, you may be seated. I was going to have you stand the whole time, but. Oh, man. Um, wow. I am stunned. Larry uh, Lamb was a very, very good friend of mine, as many of you are friends with him and Irma as well. They're in our community group. So you come back from a vacation, you go into heart surgery, get a bowel blockage, and you die. When I was a little boy, I was absolutely petrified of death, not because I was afraid of this monster. I just didn't want it to end. I just love life, don't you? If you know the Savior, living is for Christ. It's amazing, and it's, there's so much, and you can't imagine it's stopping. And never, ever, 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 you think about that, having consciousness again, it's really scary. So as a little boy, I raced to the altar, and a dear missionary woman, Peggy Campbell, who was related to the Stickler family, led me to Jesus. Now, I had been told the gospel my whole life because my mom was a believer. But she told me, these things are written so that you might know, Keith, that you will have eternal life. And you have been so taught, and I have been so taught, and we are so spoiled with the word in this church. And I just pray if anyone's visiting today or anyone has never transferred their trust to Jesus Christ, that peace alone will rock your life. So while I was a clown with a broken heart, I became, you know, unbelievably passionate about life because of Jesus Christ. So we prayed over Larry, prayed for his healing. How many of you prayed for them? And Irma sends her blessing to all of you. Perhaps the funeral will be Saturday, we're thinking, you know, later in the morning. Uh, visitation and then the funeral service, the celebration time. But as I looked at Larry and prayed in Jesus' name, he looked back and said as much as he could speak, well, let's just see what he has in mind. People, I have watched believers outdie the pagan world. Amen? Can you imagine outliving the pagan world? Today is my birthday. So we're going to dismiss and have a party. Not supposed to be about me, but I'm a man of significance, of course. 
So I'm 77 years old. Because I've hung around with teenagers my whole life. I don't like adults. I just want you to know that because I know that I know that I know. And I'm pretty much could sit down with you as far as the scriptures and Jesus and the walk and the life. I've seen it and I know it. And if you ask me, is this true? I'd say, yes. Is that false? Yes, it is. But only under the auspices of the name of Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Jesus. Sing it. Jesus. Sing it. Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Wow. Wow. The last two Sundays, our pastors have preached amazing messages, and I decided to bathe in both of them back to back. I was just like breathless when I got done. How many of you remember the messages? God when spoken the glory of God from Mount Transfiguration. Listen to him. He's my son. And as you walk down in the valley, follow him. And then last week, Drew so aptly said, you know, he's trustworthy even when we doubt, even when we're not sure. He is still the Savior. Please listen to those. If you haven't, you can. But let me frame this before we get right into the word. I have to repent, and I hate to do it after all that we've just said, but uh, I have fatal flaws. Anybody have fatal flaws? And I've managed to drag Mount around like an albatross in my life because I've prayed to receive Christ as a little boy, and I know him, and I have been repentant my whole life. I have an obsession for significance. Anybody struggle with that, <laughs> teenagers? Who am I? The other day, someone was meeting with us. You know, the first person people mention when I mention faith churches, how's Keith? I'm going, man. <laughs> of course. Who am I? What is my worth? Do we have the greatest this? Do we have the greatest that? Am I the greatest this? I have, more, I have a resume. I sent part of it to Godwin just so he knew I was qualified to preach and stuff like that. But it's just like, I sent it to him and it's like way more than that. I have lists on my resume of things that I've done as a youth minister that I'd be in jail for today trying to lead kids to Christ. Seriously. Because you're not allowed to in the world period. The importance, how many of you honestly are worried about the importance of your name and what legacy you'll lead, leave? Who really knows me? Who really cares? People walk into church all the time. Well, nobody seems to, to name me, so why should I go there? What, you know, do you worry about being great or not? The greatest compliment a person ever paid to me, I'm going to cry saying this, Keith, you're the real deal. Someone makes you feel like you're nothing, and I believe I'm a zero, 
and you're a zero. And Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, is a digit of one. And you put that next to a zero, what do you get? But most of us are trying to be the 10 without him. Wow. He said, I was the real deal. And I saw him 20 years later. You're the real deal. I was just pierced to the heart. The title of this sermon is supposed to be, they couldn't fit it all in. But we just summarized, it's the goat. And like you, I'm sitting, I'm studying, I'm going, nah, that sounds like the goats and sheep. We're talking about the goat, the greatest of what? All time. And I want to just clarify something, right? It's not possible to give him that name, right? If you say he's the greatest lover of all time, no, he is love. He's the greatest truth of all time. No, he is truth. He's the greatest savior of all time. No, he is the savior. He's God. And goat doesn't fit. It's a comparison with something else that we know that we're familiar with. So I've been a goat, you know, greatest this, greatest that. But it's been a sweet time to realize I'm nothing. I'm a beggar before Jesus Christ. He's the king. I owe him everything. And it's so fun to just be who you are in him and not strive. Problem as a follower, disciple of Jesus, if you're obsessed with your significance and your worth, you're always asking, who am I? And of course, you know the song, who am I? In the passages. But realize instead that when Jesus Christ came into your life, you became possessed. I like that. Obsession is something that we measure up. Oh, I'm obsessed with my train set. Larry was. No, he was obsessed with Jesus, but he's got a great train set. But model railroads are obsessed. It's like their families are somewhere and they're down in their basement with their train set. That's obsession. Or with sports. And I love your Bengal stuff. Don't ever stop wearing your Bengal stuff. And I know them, and they're not, they're obsessed, they're, they're possessed with Jesus, but a little obsessed with the Bengals, right? We all are. Or Ohio State. But I realize that I am possessed with this Holy Spirit. So my question is not, who am I? Who is he? Who he is? I'm possessed with that statement. So when I mention Jesus in public, people just, they get very quiet. They say, are you a follower of Jesus? Are there more followers of Jesus in these places? Because I dare to mention his name. So as an evangelist, I've struggled with my identity. Dick, can we have an appointment? On one hand, I'm a John the Baptist to make a straight path to Jesus. And I'll tell you how it is. And I'm not afraid. Other paths, I'm like a Mary. I want to go somewhere right now and cry. Because my close friend died. Why didn't you come earlier, Jesus? You know, this kind of thing. So there's this real pull in me, and it has to do with approval. It has to be the real deal. And John the Baptist said, I want to be less, and he is going to be more. I can't even untie his shoes, basically. Let's pray. Father God, would you just make this little passage so personalized with your Holy Spirit to every man and woman and child in this room? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Mark. And for those of you who still haven't gotten a Bible, it's on page 986 in the Pew Bibles. I will give you a Bible if you need one. If you're a guest, don't take my words, but you need to carry this around today. You don't need to do the phone thing. Everybody thinks you're on TikTok. You need to carry this so people, when I was a kid, we carried a big black thick Bible to school. It was the religious freaks, you know, it's kind of, no. People need to see this, right? That's why I've got a big one here today, okay? 
That's why Republicans work, sorry. Um, let's read chapters um, of Mark 9, verses 30 through 41. Ready? You with me? You got the passage? Wow. Then they left that place up north where they were, and they made their way through Galilee. And of course, he's walking and teaching them. They're traveling and teaching much as the Hebrew tradition was. He did not want anyone to know it, where he was, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples. It was a personal thing and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Well, they came to Capernaum, and I still don't know which house it was, but any of you been to Israel? You need to go to Israel, all of you. It's amazing. Came to Capernaum, was down by Galilee, and that's kind of like central, north, east side, I guess. When he was in the house, you can imagine a different setting, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? And everybody was silent. They were all, oh, hustler, argue, you know. Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the what? Greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. He took a child, so there are children in the house, and had him stand among them and taking him in his arms. I love that. He said to them, whoever won I'm sorry, whoever wants to be first must be last servant of all. And then he took the child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child, such as this in my name, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. And then they asked him a question. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Oh, Jesus said, don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon speak, soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. This is the inspired word of God. Amen. This really is. To Jesus lists here about four things that are musts or say imperatives to be the real deal. I told you the real deal. And I ask you, are you the real deal? Sorry. The first point is this, and it's in verses 30 through 32. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he's killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask. In Luke 19.10, in reference to Zacchaeus, Jesus makes a statement 
and he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the second or third time that Jesus is telling them or predicting his death and resurrection, his death by the evil men and his resurrection. And the disciples consistently pushed back. And can you imagine David being told, I mean, Peter being told, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine that? The rebuke of one of the disciples that became one of the significant digits, I mean, significant people in the kingdom. They were confused. They pushed back on it. They had questions. We've left everything. We followed you for three years. We supported you. And now you're going to go and give it up and die? You're the wrong Messiah. They're all, as you know from your studies, the, the Messiahs were everywhere. They had Messiahs those days. They had famous people like Herod the Great and Herod Antipas and all these other people and the Romans. And they all wanted to wear certain robes and have great feasts and be controlling this and controlling that. So the disciples and Jesus are up against all this magnificent Roman Empire and all these Jews that wanted broad phylacteries and make sure that they were keeping the law. There's a lot of famous people. You know, a lot of they, but, but you know what? They're, they're going, something's wrong with this picture. You're supposed to take over the Roman Empire and free Israel. And that's why they're reacting. Now, I have an opinion, but I don't think as we studied together as a staff, as a teaching team, if you transport that to today, if somebody's leading something in your work and they die or they quit, the discussion is who's good enough to take over, right? Right? Am I good enough? I'm the greatest. Well, that's not what it's saying here. It's saying that they were arguing about who is the greatest. So that's an interesting take on it. And they're saying, where does this leave us? And I'll say this to you, the disciples were definitely not the real deal. And I don't believe they were born again yet. You kind of, maybe that hits you like, why would they not be born again? Because what Jesus is telling them right now, this has to be done. I have to go and die. Amen? And there are Christians today that are still dragging that around and forgetting this has to be done. It's not just an ugly picture of the sacrificial lamb. It has to be done. And my granddaughter sat on a stage when she was five, and her, we were all watching her and this kind of stuff sitting up there, and she's going, you ever seen that? You pay attention to me, parents and grandparents. Jesus was doing that, disciples. We've wandered all around. We've healed. We've cast out demons. All this stuff, of course, they had a tough time casting out demons last time, but it's like we preached the Messiah. I've told them who I am, blah, blah, blah. I've taught the masses, and now I'm just talking to you in our holy huddle. I am talking to you, so listen to me as Jesus would say. And I don't think they were believers. They believed with their heads, right? Does it make sense? But it had not been adopted in the heart because the redemption had taken place. So it's pretty obvious. So they were his elect, but not yet finished. And they became the greatest 12 men in the world. Amen. We must, the takeaway is to trust his name, the son of man. Like Elijah said, to come and suffer and die. Jesus, the one they've nailed to the cross. The Christ, the Savior. And of course, the disciples were rebuked because of this. And so I guess the main point here that Jesus is driving away, look, get real. I'm going to go and die, and you need to go and die with me. And how many of you know that all the disciples except John were martyred? 
When I heard that as a young man, it just rocked my soul. Every disciple and follower, including Paul, was killed for their faith. John was boiled in oil, whatever that means. The second imperative or must to make you understand what the real deal is, we must think like him. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. They came to Capernaum house, and when he was in the house, they asked him, what were you arguing about? He's asking them. But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, look, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. There was a problem of greatness, and I don't know why, where that came from. But it wasn't a discussion, it was an argument. The need to be important, the need for them to be somebody. When you take the name of Jesus, or I take the name of Jesus, we move from obsession in ourselves to possession by his Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20, you remember? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been taken over. It's not Keith Kruger. It really isn't. Now, Keith Kruger can put the significance thing out there, and he smashes it down. You are my follower. You are in my name, not your name. Amen? And then he talks about a little child, and I love this because I could talk all day about children in the kingdom, as you know, one could. He says, you must, become, you must like this little child. And if you go to Matthew 18, 1 through 4, he pulls the little child. He has the same question, the same arguments going on about greatness. And he just didn't take a child, but he refers to them and puts them on his knee and said, if you really want to be something in the kingdom, you must become like a what? That's why these children in this room are amazing. Humble and needy and trusting. That's a child. You must become last and not first. How many of you struggle with being last? You're always butting in line and things, right? You want to get your Disney pass and go ahead of the line. You want to be bumped up to some position at work. Very few people are significant in the sense that they would just be fine if no one knew their name. That's my battle. Yours? I'm convinced that everybody in this room has struggled with that. The illustration of a needy child is what Jesus pointed out at that point. You need to, look, this is the kind you need to serve, a little child. If you turn to Matthew 9, 35 through 38, in reference to being like him and thinking like him and getting his heart, he was preaching and teaching and healing all manner of sickness, and he stopped, and he looked at all the people, and he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And they said he was crying out to bring workers into the harvest field. That's where we're at today. Never in history have we seen in this country such Sodom and Gomorrah, such lost, needy people. Mental illness, it's demonic, you know? So Jesus' heart was to fix it. It was the eyes of compassion and the heart of fixing it. And he said, I came for the needy. Did you know that the Old Testament patriarchs, men and women, were servants first? How many of you knew this? What did Jesus do first? He came to serve. 
not to lord over. So he's telling his disciples in this holy huddle, we're not going to run things. We're not going to be lord. You're not going to be lord. I am not going to be lord at this point. I will be. I am. But he said, you will serve as I have served. You will serve the most needy people all the time. And I get, I, I'm tough at that. I, I, don't, I don't run to service activities. How many of you, you know, not because of age, I just, you know, I'd rather encourage someone. I'd rather preach at them. I'd rather talk to them. I'd rather encourage them, make them feel better. But some of you will just go someplace and build something and give and give and give, and no one knows. Godwin preached on the cross before the crown. Do you remember that? The suffering aspect that we're servants. You know, when you think of Joseph and Daniel and Nehemiah and Esther, all the, they were all servants before they became leaders or significant people. Let me point out here with the children thing. Keith Kruger has been in high places and low places, and I've been able to uh, enjoy the benefits of sitting at the front of the table or at the back of the plane or whatever, you know. But I was so humbled recently when my wife and I went to take care of our two youngest grandchildren for eight days. Do you know what it's like to look at a monitor 24-7? Can't sleep at night, get up. Children are like a loud voice here, an elementary canal, and no responsibility at the other end. So Keith Kruger couldn't work into a significant lifestyle in terms of serving Jesus and doing all the important things in the kingdom. I and Barbara, praise God for her, had to work with these precious children, Aspen and Jackson, and they were amazing. But we could never take our eyes off of them. We could never stop keeping them from jumping from something or eating the wrong thing or, <coughs> or reading everything, only one page of each book. You know, it was amazing. So people that have young children and working like our staff, just laboring away, I understand, Drew and your family, what it's like a little bit. I remember now. But that's what it's like in the kingdom. Oh, yeah, and just like the church, we had the other grandparents there. I didn't tell you that. Eight days, different personalities, different ways of parenting, different philosophies and stuff. And we love each other deeply. But get out of each other's way sometimes. And I love them so much. But we're different you know, in terms of personality. And we work, oh, it works so well. It was a picture of the body of Christ with different gifts. And that's what it's like. So can you imagine if we are servants and we are the last, not the first, and we care about the children, there's no church conflict. There's no people leaving. There's no argument. It's serving that name of the Jesus we love and know. Amen? The third point that Jesus makes as he talks to these disciples is found in verses 36, 37, and 41. Again, are you the real deal? We must live in the power of that name, of his name, the goat. And the passage I was going to read for you is, is uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I love that passage in which his name is above every name, and at the name of Jesus, everyone. But it starts with being a servant and leaving his glory and being a servant. So what's so difficult about that for us if we finally get over it? Read it with me. Anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Verse 35, he took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me, which would be God. 
And then you go to verse um, 41. For whoever is not against us is for us, and whoever drinks, gives you a cup of water to drink in Jesus' name, in my name, because you belong to the Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Do you know what that means? Whatever you do to serve the needy, the little one, the child or the needy adult that's only alive physically and mentally, it will be remembered for eternity. Have you seen that? How God in your giving in his name has fostered, it just like blows me away what God does. So here we're prompted by the Savior to live and act in his name. Disciples, I'm looking at you. You've got to start understanding who the Son of Man is, who the Christ is, who I am. I am the Messiah, and you need to take that power and live in it and act in his authority and act in his sovereignty. <clears throat> and I believe that God has given me a gift to pray for healing. But when I prayed over Larry, I did it humbly before the Savior and prayed in Jesus' name, and Jesus answered it. I'm going to give him a new body. I'm going to heal him right now, and he did within 24 hours. But that's the trust of his sovereignty. So why are we so anxious? <laughs> why do we put conditions on things? When you're walking in his name and you breathe his name and you know him and you know what he's like and how he thinks, and wow. So Jesus uses a little child. So welcoming a little child, loving them, embracing them, building relationships, serving in his name. You adults could do that with these kids here. The parents have all they can do to try to show Jesus to them. What if you did? One man in my church would hand me gum every Sunday when I was a little Baptist church as a boy, Mr. Richardson. Then he came over and helped me with math. He loved me and he loved Jesus. And that was like Jesus coming to my house. That could be you in this church as part of the youth ministry. Do you see why children's ministry and youth ministry is so important to the Savior? Over and over and over again, he talks about the children. So, we live for his credit, we live for his glory, and for his fame. Amen? The greatest message I've heard Godwin preach, and he's probably, every one of us has been amazing to me, our pastor. But the very first Sunday, he said, I'm not here to make me famous, or you famous, or this church famous. I'm here to make Jesus famous. That just rocked my soul. I tell people that, that all the time. That's our job. When you take his name, you're making him famous. You're making his, him his famous. When I was in Hawaii last year, I looked out over Waimea Canyon and I said to the couple next to me and said, didn't Jesus make some amazing stuff? Hello? Would you do that? Hello? And they looked at me. <clears throat> well, where we're from, we keep religion on one side and everything else on the other. I said, where are you from? Quebec. <laughs> Quebec. Sorry, Barb. Canada. You could put his name out there and watch what you get. And I put his name out there and go, whoa, they're followers of Jesus and it's much bigger group and body than you realize. There's something I want to mention at this point. Prior to this passage, there's this issue with them not being able to cast out demons, right? Now, I want to move you to something else because this is to live in that power. This is not boastful. This is fearful, hard talk for me. I have been in several exorcisms. Pastor Dick knows what I'm talking about as far as exorcisms. When the demons take over, when you're talking to the demons, they rebuke you and things go flying across the room. It's not Hollywood. 
It is not Hollywood. I've seen it. I've seen people healed. But mostly you realize you can see a demon in a teenager. That makes me so sad that there's a demonic presence in a child. And I'm not saying any of you kids have that. I'm just saying when the evil one takes over the flesh, he really does. And in our society, we've got to gloss it over as mental illness and gloss over looking stuff. And it may be. But the reality is there's a spirit world that we're battling. We're always battling on this level, but it's up here. He hates that I'm talking like this, the evil one, but he can't get in this door, right? He can't get in here. So in Jesus' name, you have the power to rebuke Satan, the evil one, demonic. I mean, have you ever been in some place where you felt this stronghold of awfulness? I spoke in Canada at a large youth conference up in Banff. Thousands of kids. We were prepping with the band beforehand. And one of the, the drummer just lost it. He just went into convulsions and all this kind of stuff. And everybody looked at each other and says, you know, we're really struggling. And I felt the power of the evil one. We got over him and rebuked that, not because we were try, not trying to be doctors or counselors, but we had thousands of kids and adults, depending on us. This band is supposed to lead worship. And this drummer lost it. And the truth was the demon had gotten a hold of him something going on in his life, you know, and he just lost it. And by that evening, he was completely clothed and in his right mind. It was amazing. I've seen that. Have you seen, how many seen stuff like that? I feel like we have to go to the mission field. It's right here. It's among us. So his name is not just something that we throw about or tell about the gospel, but it's to fight the evil one. In his name, we rebuke the teachings in the local school. In his name, we rebuke a government that's corrupt in his name, you know, or in his name, we do the wonderful things that he would do to care. And the last point is this. To be real, you must see his name beyond our little sphere of influence. We must not act like we have a corner on the influence of Jesus Christ or the power of his name. Amen? We pray for other churches. Matt, the pastor of Parkside, was a youth pastor that worked with me. I love him. This little girl struggling. We need to pray for him. And they love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. We must be open to commending others who carry the name of Jesus. I ran into a guy in Kentucky carrying a cross. Remember the old days when the guy used to do it all in market? This guy, Pastor, da pastor Daniel, and he's doing it all over the nation and talking to people about Jesus. Are you part of a denomination? Is it who's validating this? Who's supporting you? All this kind of stuff? No. I'm just praising God. Give me the money. And finally, for sure, his name is the ultimate power to determine if something is of Satan or the dark side. Amen? We can walk through life, watch the door slam in our face, and know it's not of the Lord. We can walk through doors that he has opened because of his name. I would have left this church. I told you years ago that I would, if you have to fire me, I'd still be here. You did. You didn't fire me, but... I'm still here because Jesus, the name of Jesus is lifted up. Every Sunday, every person I meet loves him. This is not at all Satan's domain. and He knows it. So our church is a church that is cleared. <laughs> We're on the list of being cleared because his name is proclaimed. He is captain of the ship, as someone said. In Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn there as a final passage, it would be good. 
Romans chapter 1, and we'll conclude. I have several different Bibles. So Sorry. Chapter 1, and um, let's see, let's verse uh, 2 through 6. <clears throat> well, I'll start with the first one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. They were going, why do you have to be, what's resurrection have to do with anything? We don't, some of us don't believe in resurrection, this kind of thing the disciples are saying. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the sake of his name in all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then jump down to verse 16, and if you haven't memorized it by now, you've got to memorize it this afternoon. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What Jesus is saying, he must see his name, we must see his name and his power beyond ourselves. Um, in that passage at the very end, and we didn't read it, but it says this. Um, we saw some driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus' name cleanses and purifies and changes and exercises the evil, doesn't it? I want you to know this. Um, the goats this week that I charted, charting goats recently, the greatest. One of the greatest soccer players, Julie Ertz, retired this week and claimed the name of Jesus publicly. Amen? Amen? That's one of the young people. Deion Sanders, look it up. He proclaims the name of Jesus. He was kicked out of Jackson State because he was praying in Jesus' name. And now he's got even bigger things. He's got CU, man, which is totally liberal out there. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's preaching to him, and he's teaching him the word. And he said, and I tried everything until Jesus came into my life. That's Deion Sanders, one of the greatest goats of the athletic world. <laughs> and my favorite is this. <clears throat> I tell you one thing, when Jesus opens your eyes and you finally realize who you are and who he is, it's a whole different world. Alice Cooper, how many of you know who Alice Cooper is? The most profane, obnoxious head of, you know, and he loves Jesus with his whole heart. His pastors, he said, well, I don't, I'm a rock singer, what do I do? He said, well, pastor just said, just keep being a rock singer. Just like Joe, you know, but you're a Christian one. You take the name of Jesus. That's Alice Cooper. Tell me God's not alive. Tell me that the thousands that were 18 at um, Texas A&M worshiping and 127 baptized. Tell me about all the people in California. Talk to Sue about that right now. They're on the streets. And like, there's an awakening. There's an alignment over whose name? The name of Jesus. Not the name of anybody. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling at peace? You feeling he's in charge? And only a Larry could look you in the face and say, 
whatever he has in mind. And when Dave Eklund died, so I just want to go meet him. I want to go across the room and say, there he is. That's a person that takes the name of Jesus. Close your eyes and pray with me and then prepare yourselves for, for this special supper that we share together. As you pray, I want to ask you this. Are you the real deal? Do you trust totally in his completed work? Do you think like him? Are you possessed with his spirit and his heart as you take his name? Do you live in the power of his name daily? Do you realize and did you pray? Did you know? This last point had to do with the gospel, that he soon will send his disciples out to the entire world proclaiming the gospel, that his name is not exclusive to our little church or our little group or our community group. Do you know that? Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, would you confirm and clear in the minds and hearts of every one of our dear people here these truths from your special word Jesus Christ, amen.